Hey, welcome to it. Uh, yep, Skull's here. Welcome. Alex Luchaferro is here, managing partner, saying Firu to Marketing LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land. We got a lot to cover today. You can email help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's a good way to do that. And always, always available for you, free and anonymous, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. So there you go. Alex is here to uh, cover some topics today, uh, use of social media in the workplace, like Facebook, Twitter, Insta, all that stuff. If we have time, we'll get to medical leaves from work when disability coverage or LTD is denied. So that has a bit of a nice crossover to the other half of what the firm practices, and that would be disability law. Also a show here that we do on uh, on Global News Radio, but uh, we'll get to that in just a bit. But Alex, you always start, brother, with the, uh, the week that was. You got a couple things brewing. What do you say? Absolutely. Good morning, John. Happy uh, 2022 to you and to all of our uh, listeners. A belated uh, new year. Great to be here. It's been a busy uh, start to the year, as you said, Uh, uh, John. We continue to roll on in the employment law world with uh, COVID-19 and the impact that has had on the workplace and the significant impact. Uh, It's been it's been quite uh, quite the past 2021 months or so. Uh, John, listen. That all of that said. It's important for our listeners uh, to note, employment law hasn't changed since this fiasco all started. Employment laws haven't gotten suspended. They haven't gotten rewritten. Employers still have obligations, obligations when it comes to health and safety, obligations when it comes to severance, particularly employees still have all of those rights, all of uh, those obligations on the part of employers, Mm -hmm. not only for those businesses that consider themselves essential, even those non-essential businesses, employment law rules remain the rules when it comes to temporary layoffs uh, as well. Again, these rules haven't uh, changed. Now, in that vein, John, I wanted to talk a little bit this morning about what we as employment lawyers have been seeing across the board for the past couple of months, uh, uh, pretty much, if not a touch more, and that is these mandatory vaccination policies uh, that have been introduced by many, many workplaces. Uh, John, large Mm -hmm. businesses, international businesses, medium businesses, small businesses, you name it. uh, We're seeing vaccination policies across the board. And and listen, let's get one thing out of the way first, which is, uh, uh, you know, I, I think vaccinations are effective. We're not anti-vax uh, uh, here. I think they're effective in reducing hospitalizations, uh, in reducing severe illness. I think that's an obvious point now. I think I think that's very demonstrable. Uh, and so we are not anti-vaccine. That said, John, mm-hmm. uh, I have become more and more, in my legal opinion, uh, uh, very opposed to these mandatory vaccination policies that employers uh, have introduced. We were opposed initially off the get-go uh, that employers cannot uh, force an employee to be vaccinated. They cannot terminate an employee without severance if they're not vaccinated, and they cannot lay them off or put them on unpaid leave right. if they are not uh, uh, vaccinated. That is what we would call a constructive dismissal. Your employer can't send you home without pay, uh, uh, John, and keep you waiting by the sidelines on ice. That's a termination. And I think the Omicron variant has demonstrated that now more and more, the uh, relative absurdity of these mandatory vaccination policies, because it's now become crystal clear uh, that the vaccine does not stop transmission of COVID-19. Again, it likely, almost certainly, protects against severe illness. Great, that's exceptional. But the entire point of these companies introducing mandatory vaccination policies was to create these bubbles of vaccinated employees within within the workplace, 
uh, where COVID-19 wouldn't be transmitted. That was the initial goal in mind when these vaccination policies were introduced. Well, if everybody's vaccinated in the workplace, there will be no COVID-19, and that makes for uh, a significantly increasingly safe workplace. Well, again, we now know that's not the case. You can still transmit and get COVID if you are vaccinated. It effectively does away, John, and forgive me for the rant here, but it's an, an extremely important legal point. It does away with the entire purpose of these mandatory vaccination policies that employers have uh, introduced. It now becomes almost exclusively, if not entirely exclusively, a personal decision where if you want to run the risk of not being vaccinated, that is a personal choice that you are going to have to take yourself. But you being vaccinated actually does very little for the other person uh, that you might be in contact uh, with. And again, the, the... uh, the logic of these vaccination policies has crumbled. And so any employee out there, the moral of the story, uh, John, if I can cut to the chase here, the moral of the story is that an employee who has been put on unpaid leave uh, without pay or who has been terminated for cause, terminated without severance, for failing to comply with a vaccination policy is going to be owed severance. Uh, John, I think there could be little doubt about it uh, now, except for very few exceptional circumstances mm-hmm. where, for example, there's a government policy in place. So for certain industries where the government has mandated vaccinations, long-term right. care homes being the main one, really, uh, it's going to be very difficult for employers not to pay severance in these situations. And uh, do you have something else you want to cover before we get into the uh, the topics of the morning? Or uh, what do you got going on, pal? Well, I have maybe a more specific story when it okay, comes cool. to these vaccination policies, Excellent. Uh, John, and it's on the point of severance, uh, uh, really. So, and, and again, just maybe an example of, of what I think is getting a little absurd here when it comes to these vaccination policies. I, I'm dealing with a, a very lovely uh, lady who had worked actually for a, for a law firm, uh, John, if you could believe it, for 30 plus years. She uh, wow. started as a legal assistant in a law firm and moved up to the position of of supervisor, uh, and she is in her late 50s. So this has been effectively her entire career with this employer. And again, she worked as a supervisor. And this company, this law firm, introduced a mandatory vaccination uh, policy. And this lady, for one reason or another, decided that she was not going to get vaccinated. And so she was put on unpaid leave and then ultimately terminated as a result of failing to abide by the policy. Uh, This lady is owed severance, John, based on the fact that she's in her late 50s, 30 years of service. She's going to get 24 months of pay as her severance entitlements. It's it's a significant severance package. Uh, The absurdity of the situation comes with the fact that she was working entirely from home this entire time (sighs) since the start of COVID. She was working obviously safely at home. Uh, I mean, there was no risk of exposure to anyone else in the in the workplace, but she was also working successfully from home. She was able to do her job remotely. And so again, it speaks to the absurdity here of, well, the employer could have simply kept her employed working from home, particularly now, John, that we're dealing with new lockdowns and the government, the provincial government, advising employees to stay home and employers, for that matter, advising employers to allow employees to stay home and work remotely when they can, which right. this lady certainly could. 
So this lady, you know, we are going to negotiate a severance package for her, and she is going to get her full severance entitlements. But again, it's another example here, not to keep harping on the same story, uh, John, of the fact that an individual severance entitlements in these circumstances can be very, very significant. Uh, and there are very obvious cases, lots and lots of them, John, where an employee would be able to do their job safely and successfully from home, but these employees are still being let go for not following the policy. Again, it's an absurdity. There's no question these people are going to be owed uh, a severance. People shouldn't t just simply take this and move on with their lives. They need to speak with an employment lawyer if they're dealing with a similar situation. That, by the way, is a, uh, as you mentioned, it's uh, Alex, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 855 time to get a hold of Alex and a member of his team. Help at employmentlawyer.ca, but we always take our calls. Top priority. Jerry, thanks for hanging on for a, a couple moments. How are you? Very well, sir. Thank you. Beauty, what's on your mind? Um, I would like to ask, what type of paperwork or uh, legal uh, uh, points that we can bring up to our employers when they're trying to force us to vaccinate and, and we refuse? What is the proper paperwork? Um, I asked this point the other night, and you didn't want to speak about the medicine of it. It cut me off. But he, exactly everything I said, you know, he agrees with me. Uh, but when I said it, they, they cut me off. But uh, what, what is the paperwork? What are the proper procedures? Yeah, it's a good question, Jerry, because here is the difficulty with respect to these situations, which is that there is really no point debating the science. I don't think any individual employee is going to be able to convince their employer to back down from these uh, uh, policies. Or, you know, if that happens, it'll be the extreme uh, rare circumstance. And so you can you can try and explain yourself. You can provide whatever documentation you might want to provide until the cows come home, uh, 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 Jerry. There's nothing that can be done to stop an employer from imposing a policy like this. And so the difficulty becomes an employee reaches the point where you have two options and really two options only. And the crux of it is you need to decide whether you're willing to lose your job over this issue because it's going to come to a point where it's either you get vaccinated to save your employment, and certainly lots of people have done that, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that per uh, per se. I mean, it actually might benefit you to be vaccinated. It might actually benefit you to, to keep your job. Uh, but nonetheless, if you have drawn that line in the sand yourself and you know you're not going to get vaccinated, then again, there's nothing necessarily that you can do to save your job. You have to make that decision knowing that it might cost you uh, your job, regardless of the documentation uh, that you provide or the position that you take. Now, let me insert one last caveat, Jerry, which is you want to be you, you want to make sure a that you speak with an employment lawyer before you make that decision, uh, because it's important to get advice because. You know, these decisions depend on your particular industry, your particular job. If there is a government mandate in place, if your employer is requiring you to be vaccinated because there are third parties that require vaccination. So, for example, you work for a construction company and the clients of the construction company require employees on site to be vaccinated. That, that is a particular situation that requires a particular analysis uh, and the severance analysis might be. And so, again, you want to be very, very careful before you make uh, that decision. Jerry, appreciate the time. Got to fly, get into a break, and we'll come back with more. Michael, I see you there. You are up next on the show. Stand by. We're just getting warmed up. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio.
All right, we're back, and thanks for uh, for sticking around the show today. Yeah, Alex Luciferro, managing partner, Sam Firu, to Markin, doing all the heavy lifting here, and uh, managing partner, indeed, taking your phone calls to outside the show as well, one 821 5900 part of the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land, helped tens of thousands of people get the compensation they deserve. Again, this is not a lottery ticket or just lucky. This is uh, money that is owed to you. Through the uh, the common law, that's what they call it. So reach out, at least have a conversation with Alex or go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca and do some uh, some research on your own. It's all there free and anonymous. But always, phone calls, top priority. And uh, we'll get to, who do we have here now? We have Michael on the line. We'll get Jody to hit that one. Jody, my computer's nicely frozen up. There you go. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm content. Thank you. How are you? Good, sir. What's uh, What's going on today? Well, the pressing question on my mind, regardless of whether the clients require the vaccine, you know, if I entered into the contract of employment a decade ago, say it was a decade ago, and there were no clients that required vaccines or anything in the near, in the near, in, in, in the geographic area of wherever the work is being going on, you know, to say that vaccine is now mandated when the federal government doesn't say it's mandated is not fair in that it's a major change to the employment. It's the same thing as when I was with a a big company and uh, they had a nice lucrative bonus plan. They sold the company and the company honored the bonus plan for a year or two. And then they decided to retract it and say, we don't have to honor that. Well, I'm sorry, you know, did, you know, when I signed on board, did you give me full disclosure? You know, when you made that bonus retractment, uh, after you honored it, once the company got flipped, um, you honored it for a couple of years. How can that not be akin to the introduction of a major vaccine passport system? Well, sorry, that's sidetracked. But of a, uh, the introduction of a vaccine mandate at the employment level. I mean, really, do we represent people across unilaterally? What the hell do we represent of, the, of, the, of these days? I mean, feel yeah, so my words. No, no, that's fine. That's fine, Michael. And and, and listen, I I uh, I sympathize with the sentiment, and I probably probably generally agree with the sentiment. But it's important to note uh, the law will likely and and let's keep in mind this is a novel issue, right? So I mean, where the law is evolving on the issue of mandatory vaccination. Uh, policies, but let's address the specific point you made. And, and for our listeners out there, keep in mind we are talking about a very specific scenario here. We're talking yes, about a scenario where you know, and I, 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 I much appreciate that we're talking. Are we live right now? Oh yeah, we are. Okay, we are live. Okay, I much appreciate that we're talking. Um, you know, well, I, hold, I hold on, though, Michael. Hold on. For the sake of our listeners, let let, let me explain what we're talking uh, about yeah. here because I think it requires a little bit of a of a primer. So we are talking Thank about you. a situation where. Uh, a client or a customer of an employer uh, has imposed a, a vaccine policy themselves where uh, anybody on site uh, needs to be doubly vaccinated. So again, I use yeah. the example, uh, and, and I think conceptually it's an easy one to grasp, where you're a construction worker or you're an electrician or uh, some sort of employee that does, let's say, maintenance, and you have to attend on a client property to do some work. And because that client requires employees to be doubly vaccinated and that employee isn't vaccinated, that employee can't do the work. So it's a very particular yes. situation. The difficulty, I, I get that. 
Yeah, I get the difficulty. That. I'm just saying I don't see how people should not be entitled to the fact that a major change to employment, like the introduction of mandated vaccine when it's not mandated from the government, yeah. how how is it's had effects, cause effect damage on people's economics? Uh, I, I may be using the wrong words, but I mean, there is a cause effect that should be delicately rebalanced. You're absolutely right. I, and, and that general principle, uh, Michael, I agree with you. And I said it at the top of the show, I think pretty strongly and pretty uh, and pretty aggressively. It is a constructive dismissal. It is what you just called it, a significant change to the terms of employment. Now, if you're going to start talking about government mandates, and again, these third party situations where it's other entities requiring vaccination, that is where it gets much trickier for employees. And my general advice would be those employees dealing with those situations need to receive legal advice because the analysis may be different. For the vast majority of employees who are being let go or being put on unpaid leave because of vaccination policies, you're absolutely right. Those are going to be constructive dismissals or terminations without cause, meaning those employees would be owed severance based on their age, their position, their years of service. It's not going to be a week or two of, of severance. It's going to be significant amounts. Moving on to uh, to Frank. Hi, Frank. Thank you for uh, standing by. How are you? Good, and you? Good. What's on your mind? I have a little bit of dilemma. I have this employee. I, I do work as a contractor with a couple of hotels doing housekeeping. And this uh, particular person, she's been there since uh, the opening of the hotel. Uh, during the COVID, she wanted to go on a, on a leave to collect employment insurance. Uh, while I, I, I needed people, she, she was asking me, I come to work because I collect employment insurance, but you gotta pay me cash. So I did that to accommodate, but now she's come back full time because the employment is finished. And she's asking me that, that she wanted to get paid for the half an hour uh, that she works out of the eight hours. And I said, I'm sorry that this is not the law. The law requires you to have a half an hour break and it will be deducted. Anyway, uh, at the end of the day, she has sent us a, a letter resigning. Am I supposed to pay her for severance once she retires I show, or she resigned or I'm off the hook? No, a resignation, uh, uh, Frank, is a resignation. The only thing that you owe her is her pay up until her last day of work uh, and any vacation pay that she might uh, have accrued. And you're right, uh, Frank, You don't uh, uh, lunch uh, uh, breaks are not necessarily paid. The only way in which they would be paid, Frank, is if you had an established practice where they were previously paid. So you, if, you know, if this is a, a, a years-long employee and you're always paying her her eight hours of pay and then all of a sudden you stopped and you're only paying her seven and a half, well, then you might have set a precedent there. That might have been a term of her employment that you were paying her the full eight hours and no. it's difficult to change that. But if that was never the case, if you're always paying her, her seven and a half hours uh, a day, and all of a sudden she wanted the half an hour paid, uh, no, that, that's, uh, that's not something that she has the right to. And if she's resigned, she's resigned. And uh, it's unfortunate, obviously, that that happened if she was a valuable employee. But uh, you would not owe her any severance in a situation like that. Okay. I thank you very much. 
Okay, Frank, thank you for the uh, for the call today as well. I want to move on to this, pal, before we uh, get into our break, Alex, and that is use of social media in the workplace. We like to uh, churn this one up uh, every so often because it's good to remind people as, uh, you know, the uh, the time goes on, they use more and they kind of take uh, some liberties on what they should be and what they shouldn't be posting on social. But uh, we'll bring it into the employment law realm. Number one, can an employer fire an employee for using social media but during work hours? Well, I mean, the short answer, John, is that an employer can fire an employee for really anything uh, so long as severance is paid. And so if an employer decides that it, that, uh, it doesn't like how an employee is using their uh, time, even if it's the first instance, right? So even if it's uh, if it's the first offense, so to speak, and you're, mm-hmm. I don't know, on your phone while on company time and you should be doing other tasks, keep in mind as an employee, you could be let go then. Again, even if it's the first time something like that happens, but of course you would be owed severance. There'd be no question you'd be owed severance in a case like that. The difficulty arises where this becomes repeated behavior and you've been warned once, you've been warned twice, uh, you've been disciplined for this stuff. There is a progressive, you know, uh, a disciplinary pattern here where maybe it's a verbal warning first and then a written warning setting second. Yeah. I mean, it's important to note, uh, uh, John, when you're on company time, when you're supposed to be working and instead you are on your phone or on social media or on the internet, uh, that is effectively a misuse of that time and you could be disciplined for that stuff. Now, for that to rise to the level that you're terminated, and perhaps even terminated without severance, again, there would be to need to be multiple warnings, progressive right. discipline, uh, and ultimately, if an employee truly uh, doesn't heed those warnings and continue to continues to misuse company time, sure, uh, you can potentially be terminated and terminated without severance. I guess the next logical step is, you know, using social media at the workplace. There's your answer. But how about things you post on social during work hours? Are they private? Is there such thing as a right to privacy when you're at the workplace on your social media? Yeah, absolutely not, I think is the right answer (laughs) to that question, John, simply because, I mean, social media is exactly that. It's social, right? Anybody can go online and have a look at your Facebook, have a look at your Twitter or your Instagram or whatever it is. You know, for heaven's sake, it's, it's, you know, there'll even be the timestamp on it. Right. And so an employer can very easily and perfectly legally check what you've been up to during the day on social media and see if that aligns with the times that you should have been working uh, or uh, or not. So, no, absolutely, it's not private. And employees, individuals in general, have to realize, have to know uh, that everything that's going on on social media and also maybe even more interestingly, uh, John, anything that they're doing on company property, meaning on your work computer, right. whether it's the laptop, whether it's you know in the office searching online, your employer would have the right to access uh, that information if it's work property, and so they would be able to investigate and tell what you've been up to. Uh, and if you're scouring scouring the internet for hours instead of doing your work, again, that could potentially be a problem. You know, and again, this whole kind of topic for the next few minutes is social media in the workplace. But let me expand it a little bit beyond that. In the workplace and maybe outside, should individuals be concerned about what they say about their employer on social media? I mean, inside the office, it seems obvious. But if I'm on my couch at home, what do you think? Yeah, I I think, listen, I think there's a balance to be struck uh, uh, Mm. here uh, between an employee's obligations to their employer. And so I think it would be, I think it's, it's common sense and most people would understand when I say that, you know, if you go online and completely bash your employer 
and spill all the beans and maybe some confidential information along uh, along with it and and you know, again uh, you know, speaking poorly of them, I think you can expect that there is going to be some reper repercussions there. And for example, if you are someone in a position of trust or in a position of right. power within your employment, if you're a manager, if you're a director, if you're a senior employee, and, and you go about trashing your employer online, I think that could potentially uh, result in the termination of your employment. Now, again, the question becomes, John, whether you're going to be owed severance in a situation like that. We've seen a few of those cases, even publicly, we've seen a few of those cases, and it could be the case, and I would say it's it'll likely be the case that even those employees, except for in the most egregious of situations, would still be owed severance, okay. funnily enough, because, yeah. you know, it, 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 take, it is a very high bar to terminate an employee without severance. You would have to have done something really, really terribly wrong. And I mean, really cross the line with your employer online uh, if you're going to be terminated uh, without uh, a severance. And so even even bashing, quote unquote, can potentially A, lead to an employment termination, but B, still entitle that employee to severance. And that question before we break kind of leads to this one. So what does or what should employers do if they have someone that is using an excessive amount of time on social media while they're at work? Well, listen. You should have you should have a policy in place at work with respect to a couple of things. I mean, what we were alluding to before in terms of use of company property. You should have a an internet use policy at the very least uh, with respect to employees, and you should have uh, you you know you should have a policy with respect to, to you know work time yeah. uh, as well and what could be done during uh, that time. And, and again, going back to my previous comments, I think if you're dealing with an employee uh, who is misusing company time. Uh, I think there should be a discussion had to begin with, and then there should be a system of progressive discipline if that behavior continues. And so, again, you can have a conversation with that employee. If that doesn't work, I think a written reprimand uh, should be uh, provided to the employee and then put in the employee's file. And that can progress into more severe steps, maybe even a you know some sort of suspension. And ultimately, again, if that employee doesn't play ball and continues to, to misuse company time, I, I think ultimately termination has to be contemplated. And with that, we will take a short break, give you some time to reset and uh, get right back into it. More Employment Law Show is on the way. Stand by. All righty, welcome back. Employment Law Show, Alex Luciferro, Managing Partners, Sam Firu, Tamarkin, LLP, is your guy. You want to reach out uh, when the show is done. Anytime, he's got a team uh, ready to uh, have a conversation and work with you, enlighten you. It's one 821 5900 1-855-821-5900, and email anytime, help at employmentlawyer.ca, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in this country. How about that? Calls always top priority. Michael, thank you for uh, hanging on for a moment. How are you? Thanks. Uh, I guess we got disconnected. But yeah, man. Really you want to make it quick, though, for us, right? Yeah, really quick. Okay. How far back in the statute of limitations, if somebody's affected from a mental health, can they go back on a corporation or uh, cause effect whistleblowing, uh, relying upon uh, disability income because of a whistleblowing situation that would have been huge in IP? Um, so there are a couple of limitations period, Mike, you might want to uh, be aware of. And I mean, the first point I'd make is if you're if you're worried about that, you need to seek legal advice immediately. Um, and so do feel free to reach out to us if you want to have a, a, a chat. So if we're talking about a workplace injury, 
here, uh, Mike, and that inclu- that could include a mental uh, a mental injury, right, or a psychological uh, injury. And we are talking about workers' compensation. So in Ontario, the WSIB. Uh, generally speaking, there is a six-month period, six-month limitation period on applying for workers' compensation in Ontario. Now, beyond that, and more generally speaking, when it comes to civil claims, so for example, claims for constructive dismissal, uh, claims for termination, um, and that would include, you know, again, if, if there was, if there was, uh, um, you know, an issue at work that led to psychological harm. The limitation period is two years. So, for example, you have two years from the date of your termination or two years from the date of your constructive dismissal to pursue a claim like that. Um, So those are two deadlines to be very mindful of. Again, uh, if you're dealing with a situation like that uh, and you're, let's say, within a two-year period, you want to make sure you get advice right away. You don't want to wait another day. Uh, If you're beyond that two-year period, Mike, I fear time might be up. Mike, appreciate the call. Going to move on to our uh, topic as we were talking about just before the break, use of social media in the workplace. And uh, I'll ask you one more about this till we move on. Alex, get to a couple of emails as well. What if an employee harasses or bullies another employee through social media? Maybe not in person, but through the old uh, cell phone or otherwise, right? Yeah, fair enough. It's it's actually a really good question, uh, John. And I mean, I would treat this the same way I would treat, if it's between employees, that is, I would treat right. it the same way I would treat you know, a face-to-face, person-to-person bullying in the workplace because it is effectively the same despite the fact that it's going on online. Uh, every employee in the workplace has the right to be treated with respect, with dignity, and be free from harassment, from a poisoned work environment, from bullying in the workplace. And so if one employee is bullying another, uh, John, even if it's on social media, and I would actually extend that to say, even if it's off company time, I mean, it could be whatever, in the evenings, on the weekends, whenever uh, whenever those employees are not working. Yeah. I think as an employer, you still need to treat that as a workplace incident. And get this, uh, uh, John, employers have an obligation to investigate those kinds of claims. You can't just sit back as an employer and say, well, it's between you guys, I'm not going to do anything about it. Absolutely not. You have an obligation as an employer to step in figure out what's what, what happened exactly, and then take steps to remedy the situation. If you don't do that as an employer, you could be in trouble. You could be in trouble with the Ministry of Labor. You can also be faced with a constructive dismissal claim because that employee who is being bullied, who is being harassed, if their employer doesn't do anything about it, Mm -hmm. they can then treat their employment as at an end and seek severance from the employer. And so you have to be very cautious as an employer, even if it's happening online, even if it's happening on social media or through, you know, uh, instant messaging or texting, you still have to treat that if it's between employees as a workplace issue. Again, emails, we like to get to a few of those. Every show, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Sean, first one up, says, hey, guys, my employer decided to scrap the bonus plan for all employees. I usually get 10000 bucks a year bonus. What can I do? Griswold. Yeah, we're uh, we're seeing lots of that. Uh, we've seen lots of that since the yep. beginning of the pandemic, uh, John, and we're continuing to see it. I mean, obviously, companies are are restructuring their operations. They're restructuring the way they pay employees. And, I mean, here's the general principle, and our, our longtime listeners would know this very well, uh, John, as would you, which is a significant change in your pay uh, is a constructive dismissal, uh, meaning 
uh, an employer does not have the right to make that kind of significant change without the employee's consent. And if your pay is changing by the tune of $10,000 a year, and that's a significant amount of money to you, then you don't have to accept that as an employee. You can potentially treat that as a termination, get your severance entitlements, and move on to new employment. And sometimes that is the right thing to do as an employee, uh, simply because if you establish this precedent of your employer being able to change your pay or remove your bonus, uh, that's a problem because then they could do that time and time again uh, and you would have no recourse. Now, the one question I would have for this employee, uh, John, is, well, is that $10,000 really significant or not? I mean, if this employee is, is earning $250,000 a year, uh, John, then to be honest, a $10,000 change in your pay might not be significant. It might not necessarily rise to the level. But if you're earning, I don't know, $60,000 a year, $80,000 a year, $90,000 a year, you know, something in that range, then it is going to be a significant change. I mean, that's a significant amount of money, $10,000. And it would be a constructive dismissal in those cases. Uh, If that's happening to any employees out there, if your pay is changing, uh, whether it's significant uh, to the employer or not matters very little. Of course, they want to save as much money as possible. But if you feel like it's a change for you as an employee and your commission structure is changing or your pay structure, your bonus structure is yeah. changing, get advice right away. You need to speak with an employment lawyer right away. You can't sit on these things for two months and then try That's right. uh, to deal with it. You've got to move on it immediately. And how do you know if it's significant? Reach out to Alex and his uh, his team. They will tell you. Again, one 821 5900 Short break. One more. We'll get right back into it. Employment Law Show right here. Global News Radio. And you're uh, your host again this morning, Alex Lucifero, the uh, managing partner, San Firu, Tim Mark, and LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land, reaching out. Anytime. Have a chat. one 821 5900 Help at employmentlawyer.ca. we got a few minutes to go till we, uh, till we get into some other things. But I want to get a touch on this, Alex, before we get into some more emails. In fact, we might finish the show with this topic, and that is medical leaves from work when disability coverage or LTD is denied. Reminder that the other half of what the firm done uh, does anyway is disability law because there, there's so much interplay between the two, between employment law and disability law. So first question is this, what should an employee do with respect to their employer if the LTD is denied? Well, it's important to think of these things as an employee who's who's on a medical leave, John. It's important to treat your employer and the insurance company that is providing the disability benefits as two different entities. So when you're applying for long-term disability insurance, you're applying directly uh, to the insurer, fine, your employer might be assisting you with that in some capacity. Maybe they give you the documents or uh, maybe they're they're even uh, the go-between. But it's important to remember the insurance company is making the decision with respect to your disability benefits uh, and as to whether to approve or deny your benefits. Now, to your question, if the insurance company is is denying your disability benefits, well, I guess the first point I should make there, John, is we see lots and lots of legitimate uh, disability claims that are denied and incorrectly denied. And so if you are situ- in a situation where your insurance, 
your long-term disability insurance or even short-term disability insurance for that matter is being denied you might have a claim against the insurance company you need to speak with one of our disability lawyers uh, so that we can give you some advice point you in the right direction with respect to challenging that denial uh, i can tell you i see it almost every day uh, john legitimate very legitimate insurance claims being denied by insurance companies uh, and, and that happens very often now when it comes to your employer in that situation, as an employee, again, who's on medical leave, your employer can't force you back to work just because your insurance has been denied, uh, John. They can't piggyback on the insurance company right. and say, hey, because the insurance company denied you, I need you back at work 9 a.m. Uh, tomorrow morning. Not at all. As long as you, have the, as the employee, as long as you have a note or a letter from your doctor confirming that you're on a medical leave of absence, your employer has to respect that medical leave. They cannot punish you, you, they cannot treat you differently, even though your disability insurance has been denied at first instance. So you still have the right to be on a medical leave, you just need your doctor's support. Now that said, John, it's important to note, your employer is not obligated to pay you in a situation like that. So an, a medical leave of absence is oftentimes, unless, unless you have sick pay, for example, it's oftentimes an unpaid so your employer doesn't have to pay you while you're on a medical leave if you're not receiving disability insurance, but they have to respect the medical leave. They can't terminate you. They can't, again, punish you. They can't force you back to work as long as you have support from a doctor confirming mm -hmm. you're medically unable to work. What is the difference, then? Because it can get confusing, difference between LTD and then being on a medical leave of absence. Yeah, it absolutely can get confusing. And, and listen, let's keep in mind, we're oftentimes dealing with employees here where, I mean, struggling with an illness or struggling with an injury, yes. it's a stressful time in yep. anyone's life. And all of a sudden, you're dealing with your employer who's giving you a hard time. You're dealing with the insurance company who's giving you a hard time. I mean, the, the difference very simply is this. Uh, uh, if you have disability insurance coverage uh, and you become medically unable to work and you qualify for that coverage, the insurance company owes you benefits. They owe you a monthly benefit. It's usually a percentage of your income. It's usually something like 60 or 66 or 70 or 75. It could be even as much as 85 or 90% of your income if it's short-term disability uh, benefits. And the insurance company owes you those payments uh, because uh, the benefits coverage under your policy has been triggered. Now, again, that's now, of course, in order to receive those benefits, you have a, you have to be medically unable to work. You need your doctor to complete a form and to provide evidence of the fact that you're medically disabled. Uh, and that is, of course, in line with the fact that you're, well, obviously, if you're disabled, if you're medically unable to work, uh, then, you, then your employer has to put you on a medical leave of absence. And again, those two things are different. You can work for an employer that doesn't have disability insurance coverage. Uh, uh, John, and you can still take a medical leave of absence. It's just, of course, an unpaid one because you don't have disability insurance coverage. So that's the difference. It's a benefits coverage. It's insurance coverage uh, that you, ha you either have through your work or even privately for that matter, or you don't have. You still have the right to a medical leave as an employee, provided you have your doctor's support. I want to get to a quick email here in the last minute of the show. Uh, Frank writes in, says, hey, Alex, my former employer found out that I'm working for a competitor of theirs, now threatening to take legal action against me. Any advice? Yeah, tough question, uh, uh, Frank. I mean, if that's actually true, I mean, the devil's always in the details, right, yep. John? I mean, if that's, you know, if, if, if an employee is working for, an, for another employer, that's completely unrelated. It's not competition. 
Uh, it's com maybe another different field. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you can moonlight as an employee. And again, as long as it's not in direct competition with your employer and as long as you're not using company time, of course, it's completely legal. If, Frank, you're actually competing and there's a conflict of interest there between what you're doing during the day and what you're doing at night for two different employers, that may very well be a problem, Frank. You want to deal with that situation very, very carefully. You need, you need some representation uh, there legally. I'd encourage you to contact us. Let's have a chat uh, off air. I'm more than happy to, and we'll be able uh, to give you the legal guidance that you need. That is a good way to wrap it up for the day. Appreciate you hanging out, making the phone calls, emails as well, reaching out to Alex Luchaferro now, managing partner, Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP. Do so. Make a phone call. Have a chat. Get educated. 1-855-821-5900. The email address is always help at employmentlawyer.ca. And for more information, free and educational, love it, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Catch you next time. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio.